life is way too short to tolerate your job, especially as an individual from a marginalized group. When you think about our collective histories being exploited and being denied so many opportunities, when we are finally at a quote-unquote pinnacle of success, but it's someone else's definition of success, and we're not happy with what we're doing, where does that leave us? It's a hard decision to make. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable young professionals of color killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel Weninger, proud Texas Latina, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we dive into a special guest story and hear all about their challenges, milestones, and lessons learned. If you're a young professional of color and you're feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. It's Priscilla, your host. I am so excited because today is episode 30, episode 30, aka the season finale of season one of the Early Career Moves podcast. It's been such an awesome ride. I want to thank all of my listeners, all of my guests for being a part of this really exciting launch of the Early Career Moves podcast. We were able to interview so many amazing individuals and we're just getting started. Like this is just the beginning. I am going on a three-month hiatus and during these 12 weeks, I'll still be working behind the scenes, getting ready for season two, which will launch October 1st. But yeah, for now, I'm celebrating. I feel great. Today is a solo episode. I'm going to talk about my top three takeaways from the first season, especially tailored for BIPOC first-gen folks, people who don't have a ton of resources or social capital or generational wealth or people guiding them. I decided to synthesize all of the interviews and think about what were the three major takeaways And so I'll get into that in a little bit. Before I do that, I want to share a couple of quick updates. So the first update is that I am now offering private coaching, one-on-one career coaching for professionals who are looking to make a big career transition but don't know how to get started or really need support getting there. And so if you head over onto my website, ecmpodcast.com, click on Work with Priscilla and you'll see the packages that I'm offering, the services that I'm offering, how to book a quick call, which is a free 15-minute chat with me where we can explore whether this is a great fit for you, whether I'm a fit for you, and vice versa. And so from there, I'll take you on a whole journey over whether it's three months, six months, or nine months to create a result in your career that you're really yearning for and looking for. So if you're someone who dreads going to work every day, you hate your job, you feel misaligned in some way, whether that's values or your motivators, and you know that there just has to be a better option out there, I can definitely help you with those career transitions. I've done them before, whether it was through my MBA or without the MBA, I've made those career transitions going from working in policy and politics, and then going into teaching, and then going into recruiting and talent acquisition, and being a talent strategic leader, and then moving into corporate America and making that transition. So I am happy to 
help you on that journey if that's something you're really serious about doing. So that's the first update. And secondly, I'm getting married over Labor Day weekend, which is really exciting. My partner of now over five years, we're finally getting married and I will be taking his last name. I will be changing my last name to Bulcha, B-U-L-C-H-A, Priscilla Bolcha. So if you are on social media, make sure to follow not just ECM podcast, but now you can follow Priscilla Bolcha. I'm getting ready for that last name change. And that is where you'll be able to follow my career coaching journey. So yeah, those are my two big updates. Now let's get into the meat of today's episode. Okay, so the first big takeaway that I got from the whole season is this idea of be bold and ask for what you need. This one is really important and it came up a lot in a lot of the different episodes. Basically, closed mouths don't get fed, especially if you're someone who comes from a marginalized background. When it comes to BIPOC, first-gen folks, we don't have a lot of social capital, social networks, financial wealth, family connections. We really, more than any other group, need to ask for help and ask for the things that we need. If we don't ask, we literally won't get what we need to get ahead in our careers or to get closer to whatever it is that we're seeking out in our careers. We need to get used to being more vocal, even when it's really uncomfortable, and also getting over this narrative that if we just put our head down and if we just work really hard, then we should be able to achieve X, Y, or Z. We just can't play by that rule book. Our rule book has to look a little different, and it involves being very bold and very willing to ask for what we need. On several episodes, my guests talked about how speaking up and being bold enough to ask for what they needed saved them every every time and opened up so many doors to other opportunities. For example, on episode 11, Tiffany Luna talked about how when she was a private equity analyst, she wasn't coming in with an investment banking background. She wasn't coming in with a finance degree. She was coming in fresh, green, didn't really know a lot in terms of the hard skills that were needed for her to be successful. So what did she do? She literally asked her boss to help finance extra evening classes. It was actually through Northwestern's like part-time, like kind of supplementary coursework program that she was able to take, you know, accounting and finance modeling and all the classes that she needed to be able to succeed in her role. So Tiffany could have maybe not said anything. She could have floundered. She could have maybe just Googled some things online, but she was bold. She said she went to her manager and she said, you know what? If you really are invested in my success, then I need this support from you. And the employer did support her. Not only that, but later they actually paid for her MBA, right? So I I just thought that was such a fabulous example of being bold to be like, you know what? I need help and you need to help me get there, (laughs) you know? So that's one example. On another example, on episode 26, Jessica Leon talks about how she was trying to break into the venture capital space. Venture capital is extremely elite, extremely elite, very white. And she, you know, had to be bold enough to ask for 30-minute coffee chats with folks that were leaders in the venture capital space. And that's intimidating. It's kind of scary to ask for that kind of time from people. But she did that. And she recognizes in her episode that she 
had to do that. Like she had to do that in order to get her summer internship with K4 Capital. And it was through those chats that she was able to make an impression on people that were then interested in helping her out. And I think that's a really key part of this takeaway is that we can't just ask for time. We have to make sure that we're like, really showing out when we actually get that time granted and someone says yes. So she talks about how she did a ton of research in advance. She was reading her books. She was reading up on deals. She was doing her full research on the person she was going to meet with so that during those either 15, 20, 30 minutes, she was really making an impression. And coming off as someone who's well-researched, who's thoughtful, who's not wasting your time. That is also the other part of asking for things is when it comes your way, you gotta be prepared. You have to take advantage of the situation and spin it in your favor. On episode 25, Cecilia Harvey talks about asking for a raise from her boss because she had been granted a promotion, but without a raise. And she straight up asked him, what is it gonna take for me to get a raise, right? Which that's a conversation that can be very uncomfortable, especially for women of color. But she straight up asked him, and you know what? He told her, he said, go get another offer outside of this firm that's competitive. That's, you know, a higher offer. And then we'll be able to match that. And she was in shock. She was like, why do I have to do this, right? And then she did it. (laughs) She went out, she interviewed, and she got another competing offer. It was higher than what she was making. And then her boss not just matched that offer, but they gave her more than that competing offer. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Cecilia had just not said anything and just been like, oh, well, I guess this is it. Now, I want to set the context that she was in finance and there's a lot more money in finance, right? Um, not sure this would have necessarily worked in nonprofit as an example, but I just think it's wonderful how, you know, Cecilia just comes from this place of you better ask, like you better ask, okay? Episode 29 with Leah Napolitano that was an amazing episode because you really see how throughout her career, she has repeatedly not just asked for like a coffee chat or something, she asked for mentorship. And when she was interning at Apple, she was not placed in the design group. She wanted to be in the design group, but she was not placed in the design group. So what did she do? She found the one designer in her building And she went up to him, introduced herself and said, hi, I'm Leah. I'm interested in design. Will you mentor me this summer? Because I'm really interested in breaking into design. And he was actually like really excited about it. He was like, sure. And it was because of that relationship and mentorship and because she also listened to him and probably came off as very thoughtful, he actually offered her a full-time role on his team when she came back full-time. So it was because she asked for that mentorship and intentionally cultivated that relationship. And obviously it was a meaningful, authentic one that led to him saying, you know what, I I want you to come on my team. What if she had just never gone up to him? What if she had been too scared or intimidated, right? Oh, well, this is just the team that I was put on. I guess I'm never gonna make it to design. No, 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 she didn't think that way. She said, you know what? Let me find Let me find the one designer and let's start to make these moves. So honestly, I could go on. There were lots of episodes where that, that was one of the major takeaways was the willingness to ask someone for something. And that can be very uncomfortable. 
But it's also your ticket to getting all of these doors opened. And as, you know, folks who don't necessarily have family connections to open those doors for us, we really need to be doing that work for ourselves proactively. And we need to be advocating for ourselves, talking about our work, sharing who we are, what our interests are, what we want to get into. Those are things we need to be actively doing. And in a virtual world, which we're currently still sort of in, you know, that might look like getting on LinkedIn and posting thought pieces and connecting with folks and asking for their time. It looks a little different now, but that doesn't change that we own that responsibility to create those relationships and ask people for things. But we also got to show up prepared, right? So I would ask you, I would challenge you, how are you asking for help today? How have you asked for help and for what you need this week, this month, in the last quarter, in this year? Have you been thinking about what are the resources, the relationships, the training? What are the things that you need to get to the next level? And have you been asking the right people or have you been too scared to do so? Okay, second one, make the journey as remarkable as the final destination. I loved this takeaway that came up quite frequently in the episodes when people were talking about trying to achieve a big goal in their career, but keeping present in their mind that the journey is long and we don't need to make that journey harder than it already is. Not only do we not need to make it a super difficult journey, we need to flip it and actually make it an enjoyable journey because that's your life. That's the majority of your life is you trying to get from point A to point B. And if we're just miserable that whole time, then what's the point, right? Because when we finally get to those milestones in our life, whether it's, you know, getting a new job or getting into a grad program or getting a promotion or a raise, of course, those are amazing moments and we should savor them. But two things tend to happen. One, the goalpost just moves out farther. So instead of relishing, wow, I got this promotion or wow, I got this raise or whatever it is, our mind quickly starts thinking about, okay, well, what's next, right? So that's an interesting human bias that we have. Secondly, we often have a hard time really enjoying and celebrating that destination, partly because it's so short, right? Like it's sometimes it's a day, or it's a moment. And if you go back to one of my original solo episodes where I talk about how the human brain is conditioned to fixate on the negative, our brains are just not good at naturally celebrating things or finding the good. And because of that, our brains tend to go to downplaying our accomplishments. Well, yeah, I know, but, and there's always a but, it's not good as this person. We start to play into comparison. And, you know, our brain does all kinds of self-sabotaging type things. And that really doesn't allow us to truly enjoy those, those moments. We have to be intentional about really celebrating those final destination moments. I mean, that's why <laughs> I did like a whole photo shoot when I got my MBA, even though I graduated in May 2020 when it was, co you know, right, the, honestly, like the beginning of COVID and... There was no graduation ceremony, but I knew that I still had to do things to celebrate because it was important for me to really relish and celebrate that victory. And so I just want to offer you that because of the our human nature, the way our brain is set up, 
we just can't spend the 80%, 90% of our lives when we are on a journey being miserable. And that is exactly what Angelica Martin on episode 27 talks about when she talks about going through the post-bac program to get to med school. You know, her dream was to go to med school. It was a very long and windy road. But she talks about how part of what made her successful and stay invested in this journey were the people and the relationships that she created through that post-bac program. She really embraced the community aspect of it. She even met her future husband in that group. And on episode nine, Decoye Burton, who also is, is now, he's an MD and is a resident, he talked about how it's a long road to become a doctor. It's 10 years plus, right? And for a lot of that time, you're not necessarily making a lot of money and you're going through very rigorous training and courses. So he talks about, you know, you can't wait until the end to be happy or to find that validation. Like you have to find that within yourself throughout that journey. And a lot of it, again, goes back to community and the fact that he had people in his program that he really relied on. When you're doing something really hard, you should really try to avoid going it alone, especially if you are one of the few BIPOC folks in your office and your program, wherever you are. Why make it harder on yourself by going it alone? You know, we should really seek to build relationships and find a community of folks who have similar experiences because that only helps us and each other, right? We're stronger together. I think that previous generations that identify as part of historically marginalized groups in the past, and I would say even the first wave of feminists, there was this idea of, well, there's only room for one. There's only room for one Hispanic. There's only room for one black person. There's only room for w one woman. And I really believe that this way of thinking was really damaging because instead of working together, individuals that were part of these groups saw each other as threats. And I think that we may not be totally conscious of that type of thinking, but it's definitely prevalent. I've seen it. And sometimes, the people who need to be helping each other the most don't. And when I think about white land-owning men, historically, I mean, that's all they do. They work together. They help each other. That's where the old boys network terminology came from, right? So our group, more than ever, like we really need to rely on each other to build community and to find joy in the process and make the journey as remarkable as the final destination. Like, we don't know if we're going to make it to the final destination. Tomorrow's not promised. I thought I was definitely going to get an in-person graduation for my MBA. That didn't happen, right? And so a lot of the memories that I have are the memories that I built with people throughout that journey and the relationships that remain. Okay, my last takeaway it was a tough one, y'all. There were just so many good takeaways. But my last takeaway that is specifically for BIPOC first-gen folks that I got from the first season is that life is too short to tolerate your job. And we had plenty of examples of guests who chose a path, 
maybe because they were children of immigrants or whatever it was, some kind of pressure. They chose a path with limited information and set off on that path and maybe even found some success, right? Whether it was prestige or money, definitely parental approval was part of it. And they got to a point where they hated what they were doing and they felt a total misalignment with their values, what actually motivated them and what they had to do every day. And my three episodes that really showcase the story were episode six with Bonoba Ida when he talks about walking away from a 10-year-plus career as a lawyer and leaving behind the identity of being a litigator. On episode nine, Lily True, who is also a child of immigrants, talks about walking away from a six-figure corporate job to go into nonprofit work and take a pay cut, how it was challenging to navigate that conversation with her parents. And episode two with Maria Paula Munoz, where she got her chemical engineering degree from Rice University and then started working as a process engineer in oil and gas and quickly found out this is not a fit for me. Like she was actually uncomfortable being out on the field with her day-to-day job, right? And so these are just three examples, but there are other guests that I had that talked about what it was like to have that kind of like sick feeling in your stomach, like knowing deep down that you are living out of sync with what your true desire is. And these are incredible stories because they exhibit so much bravery and courage to go against the grain in a way to tell their parents, you know what? This isn't making me happy anymore. And I believe in myself enough and I love myself enough to dare to dream that there's a better alternative. There's a different alternative. Life is way too short to tolerate your job, especially as an individual from a marginalized group. When you think about our collective histories being exploited and being denied so many opportunities When we are finally at a quote-unquote pinnacle of success, but it's someone else's definition of success, and we're not happy with what we're doing, where does that leave us? It's a hard decision to make, but in these examples, they were daring and willing to envision something different for themselves. These stories also did a really great job of showing very tangible examples of people who were unwilling to get swept up by the sunk cost fallacy. I don't know if you've heard of the sunk cost fallacy, but it's a behavioral economics term that basically it's a phenomenon where someone is reluctant to abandon a strategy or a course of action because they've invested heavily in it, whether through time, through you know resources, money, whatever it is. And so because they invested so much at the front end, they're unwilling to abandon it even when there's no longer any ROI or any return. And in this case, I mean, these three individuals, especially being a lawyer and an attorney, and then there's another episode recently with Manasa Murthy, who was who's a pharmacist. I mean, that's a long path to become a pharmacist. They were all just like, nope, I, I, I want to try something different. Who cares that I poured in so much on the front end? And that shouldn't be viewed as failure. In fact, I view it as success. You're not stuck in a job that you're dreading and hating. You're living up to your potential. And that's, 
That is what we deserve, in my opinion. All right, y'all. Those are my takeaways, my top three takeaways for the first season. I can't wait to come back with y'all in October as a newly married Mrs. Bolcha. That is crazy to say out loud. Um, but thanks again for being a part of this journey. Stay engaged with me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. And yeah, let's stay connected. Bye, y'all. Thanks for tuning into the Early Career Moves podcast. Be sure to visit ecmpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and become a part of our newsletter community. And if you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Talk to you next week.